So hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. We're very excited to have Nicholas Shillon join us today. Nicholas serves as the Chief Software Officer for the United States Air Force. Nicholas is responsible for enabling Air Force programs in the transition to Agile and DevSecOps to establish force-wide capabilities and best practices, including continuous authority to operate processes and faster streamlined technology adoption. Prior to his current position, Nicholas was the Special Advisor for Cloud Security and DevSecOps at the Department of Defense and Special Advisor for Cybersecurity and Chief Architect for Cyber.gov at the Department of Homeland Security. In addition to his public service, Mr. Shailan is a technology entrepreneur, cyber expert, and inventor. Nicholas is recognized as one of France's youngest entrepreneurs after founding World Act at 15 years of age. He has founded 12 companies and has created and sold over 180 innovative software products to 45 Fortune 500 companies. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, Nicholas, if you don't mind, can you share with our audience a little bit more about your role, specifically as Chief Software Officer at the Air Force? Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm actually the first uh, Chief Software Officer in the government. That's uh, interesting. I wasn't a big fan of the the title at first because, um, you know, it's not something used on the commercial side. And we try, we're trying to bring the uh, the best commercial side uh, practices across DoD and, 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 and try to embrace the the modern agile culture, but yet, you know, they, they came up with a new uh, cool title. I, I start to like it because um, first I, I see the value of, of the role uh, and I'm going to try to explain it, but also because we start seeing adoption on the commercial side with companies trying to uh, look for chief software officer. And I guess the, uh, the big uh, piece of the role is to help with the adoption of agile DevSecOps and bring enterprise services to facilitate the adoption and remove impediments in uh, the ability to continuously produce software and, and uh, moving at the pace of relevance and, and adopting clouds and, and things like that. And really, you know, what's interesting there is that the software piece, of course, is part of every system out there uh, and, and really can't do much today in terms of innovation without touching uh, software stuff. At the same time, you know, if I were still on the commercial side investing in companies, I would probably look first um, to decide whether or not a company is going to succeed at their DevSecOps stack to see, hey, are they able to to move fast and compete, right, with uh, their uh, competition competitors out there that are able to uh, release software multiple times a day and get feedback loops shoulder and shoulder by their end user to see whether or not they're bringing value to their customers. And so, um, you know, DevSecOps is a prime enabler, and I don't think any business can be successful without having a strong uh, DevSecOps adoption. And that's really what I'm here to, to do in the government is to bring these DevSecOps services and enterprise capabilities uh, to the DoD programs uh, and the large weapon system, business systems, space systems at uh, you know any classification level, uh, including you know our, our jets, bombers, and, and, and nuclear systems as well. So that's exciting stuff. It is pretty exciting stuff. Uh, I, you've got a couple of really big initiatives the cloud one and the platform one 
uh, effort that you're going through. Do you want to talk about that and how how that is how you're kind of leading the way with uh, the big picture moves? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think uh, when you realize the the scale of DoD, obviously with the largest organization on the planet. And to be able to move fast, you need to bring enterprise services. And the, the first thing we've done is we created Cloud One and Platform One. Cloud One is the cloud office, which uh, connects us to both Amazon and Azure and classified clouds. And then um, Platform One is the DevSecOps team that can be on top of Cloud One or on top of a jet, a bomber, any, anything, uh, edge use cases, you know, any, any kind of system ready and bring the DevSecOps capability on top of uh, of whatever system we we need to uh, run, and platform one really is using Kubernetes and containers to avoid getting locked into a cloud provider, locked into a single company. So we have options. We're modular. We're agile, and it brings the baked-in cybersecurity into uh, the the process. So it's not just uh, you know static and dynamic analysis, basic stuff. It's really more advanced. Zero trust, uh, continuous monitoring, and behavioral detection in runtime as well. That's the sec piece of DevSecOps, and we call it DevSecOps because cyber is baked in at the in the center of the process. Not you know sec DevOps. It's never first. It's never last. It's baked in. You know, one of the things that you touched on was moving to multiple daily releases. Right, and I, I think one of the things you you mentioned before uh, that I've I've heard that you've spoken about is the Department of Defense is was a waterfall environment, right? A lot of the vendors that they use, uh, all of the resources, and that they had a software delivery of every three to three to ten years, three to yeah. five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a titanic shift. It is a big shift. And we can now release up to 20 to 40 times a day. Um, yeah, that's, uh, and we saved in one year with 37 programs and we're now at 60 programs. But back back last year, when we studied the, the time savings, we, we saved a hundred year of time uh, by moving wow. to DevSecOps uh, just with 37 programs. So you can imagine how that compounds with 60 and, and now more time. Um, we, we saved on average 12 to 18 months per program per five year of time just on continuous ATO, which is the process to continuously add credit software multiple times a day instead of once every three to five years. And then we save another you know, six to 12 months on average because of the increased uh, feedback loop between the end users and the uh, program office and development team. So we can build uh, capabilities that actually make sense. You don't spend three years building something that at the end of the three year you realize, wait, I didn't even need this stuff or I needed something different. And, and you did not listen to your actual end users. And, and by by being able to feel things rapidly, we can get that feed, feedback loop faster. But also when it comes to cyber issues and threats, you know, zero days can pop up left and right in a matter of minutes. You want to have that timeliness component with you to update software bits in minutes across classification networks. So you have no drift between environments and your, your highly classified environments are the same. Um, and are always updated centrally without having to manually go and, and patch software. That's awesome. You know, you you use the term end users as if you know somebody calling an Uber, ah, right? We we call it a wall fighter here, but you know, when when we're not in talking in a in a DoD setting, I like to give it a little bit of a of a of a fluffy name, end user, right? <laughs> uh, but, uh, right. 
you know, at the end right. of the day, they, we have two customers, right? We have the taxpayers and we need to do right by them and make sure we're not wasting taxpayer money. And the way I think of it is very much when I had my, my companies, as you said, during the introduction, I, I, I was funding a lot of different things with uh, my own money and you don't want to waste it. And I think of the taxpayer money as my own, so I don't want to waste it either. Uh, and we saved quite a lot of money, you know, billions of dollars since I started in the last two years. Uh, but the other side, of course, is the wall fighter, right? We need to bring capabilities that make sense. And, and look, you know, cost saving is great, but we're not just here to save money. We're here to deliver better, faster uh, capabilities to compete and be uh, leading and not following. You know, a lot of people in DoD start to say, oh, you know, we're so far behind. It's okay for a fast followers. I despise that thought. One, we have more money than any startup company combined. There's no reason, no practical reason why we cannot be leading like the government used to lead, you know, back in the day with a ton of innovations, uh, particularly when you look at NASA and things like that, um, and GPS and, and a lot of technology that came from the government, right? Uh, now the issue is the the pace, right? The IT pace is so insane. We don't have 10 years to figure things out, right? You know, the technology we use in, on platform one is barely two years old, right? And so the, the key to success is gonna be continuous learning. A lot of companies are not spending enough time or giving time back to their people to learn. And I can tell you, um, you know, we give an hour a day to our people at Platform One to go and check out our uh, self-learning hub so they can continuously learn and, and uh, keep up with what's going on on the commercial side. Um, Nicholas, I'm just curious, when you hire for your team, do you look for entrepreneurs? You know, what are the attributes that you typically recruit for? Yeah, so we, you know, we we obviously have also a lot of uh, airmen and and existing civilian and military people, um, and that's that's great, right? We want to bring them uh, with us, and we want to scale. Uh, we also want to bring the large uh, defense industrial based companies with us because look, they have the scale we don't have, right? The software in DoD is not built by airmen. Uh, you know, it is mostly built by the big primes and their subs, and we need to bring them with us, right? We're not gonna succeed by having pockets or starting to say stuff like, we're gonna replace that talent and these cleared personnel. One, you know, to get a clearance takes way too long, and by definition, will limit your talent pool day one, right? Because we need clearances, and you're not gonna wait 18 months for someone to get a clearance coming from the commercial side, right? So that's a number one problem. Number two, um, we, you know, I, I don't believe, um, that uh, we need specific uh, set of people, anyone can learn this stuff, right? Uh, it's just a matter of, of, of trying and, and, and be willing. I, I can tell you the biggest challenge in IT will be that we're moving from a, a model that used to be updated every five to 10 years, where now a successful IT expert will be only successful if he's capable of continuously learn as a self-learning thing by himself or herself compared to um, having to go to classrooms, you know, every two years or once a year or what, you know, whatever they were doing in the past, you know, they, they just can't keep up, right? So the trainer trainer and, and then, you know, classrooms model, I'll just completely obsolete the, you know, the stuff they teach today in universities and all over the place. And I'm not just saying that because I don't have a degree. I don't have a degree, uh, but I'm saying it because it's true. Uh, and I see it every day that they just can't keep up. Right, and, and you you spend a lot of money, and you end up living uh, by having learned a lot of things that are already obsolete by the time you come out. That being said, you do learn, you know, the ability to learn. If if we were spending more time in teaching people how to self learn, 
uh, that will be a, a massive win because that's what they're going to have to do for the next, you know, 40, 60, 50 years of their career. It is not, hey, we're going to teach you a set of things that you're going to be able to use for, for the next 30 years. That's a myth in IT, right? It's an interesting topic uh, when it comes to uh, talent pools, right? And uh, I, I've had great success with people who are, you know, do not have college degrees in, in computer science or, as you said, college degrees at all. Uh, and with my own kids, I, I wonder, is there value there, right? Like, I, I wonder with the idea of like going to some more of a trade school approach of like, because to your point, right, like uh, four years of learning. Uh, whatever you started with freshman year, probably outdated by the time you get to senior year, right? Yeah, like, yeah. so how are you going to apply that learning quicker and start learning on the job? And uh, both Shelly and I participate in a, a group that helps with transitioning, you know, career military. Yeah. And one of the concepts that they've taught me in my interactions is that, you know, you, you learn while fighting, right? So, and I think that's the concept for the future of, to your point of like, spending an hour a day, spending a couple hours a week, you know, uh, that continual learning circle. I, I find it very interesting. Uh, and that's been successful for you yeah. with getting folks to spend time on that. Yeah, but there are a couple of things that you need to bring to the table to enable it, right? One, you need to give them the time. And again, you know, we give an hour a day, but I can tell you not most of the people cannot take it because of workloads. So, so we try, but it's not always happening. That's, that's a big problem. Two is we need to bring unbiased content where you know we partnered with the Linux Foundation, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, and O'Reilly, you know, the books to bring a self-learning hub that has unlimited access to all IT-related content. I mean, you're talking anywhere from DevSecOps to microservices to uh, data science. I mean, you name it, right? With a cloud sandbox, so they can put it to good use, so they're not learning in a vacuum. Right? You need to 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 try things out and, and play with stuff, right? So you want to have that cloud sandbox where you can practice and learn by doing. Um, and then, you know, you need to tie this back to the work they do every day. If they're doing, you know, um, 50 years old obsolete stuff, by definition, they're going to learn stuff. They're going to get frustrated and leave and go to a company where they can put their, those new skills to good use. So it's a risk the company is taking by continuously educating their, their, their people. If you don't use those new skills and you get them stale and stuck in time, they're going to leave and go elsewhere. But it is up to the company to also make sure they give the opportunity to apply the technology they're learning, not just to, and you, you don't want to cave in, you know, for every little thing they're learning and start, you know, them to play with stuff every day, right? The goal is not to continuously have a lab uh, where you learn, you, you're playing with stuff. You, you need to really decide what kind of investments the company wants to make in terms of uh, innovation and, and uh, implementing some of these um new capabilities uh, in production for real, like we did with Kubernetes and containers in DoD, right? We're mandating it, uh, you know, DoD-wide for, for platform one and stuff like that. So, um, you know, but you, if, if, you, if you don't do that, right, not only are you going to get stale, you're going to get behind and then you can't keep up. And, and honestly, uh, how do you compete with a company that's able to release, you know, 10,000 times a day versus one that's releasing, you know, once a day or once a month? You have you just have no chance, right? It's just like that's why I was telling you about the investment. You know, for me, if I had to pick whether or not I'm going to invest in a company, my my first two pieces I'm going to look at is not the product, not what they're building, uh, not the market. You know, it's going to be do you have a strong DevSecOps mature team, and do you have uh, a continuous learning um, ability to train your people so they don't get stale and behind, and do you, do you treat your people as assets? 
And that's your asset. That's not your product. That's not your IP. That's your people. Hmm. I, and I think that's a very interesting. You, you play in two very different worlds, right? As, as an investor and then working with the DOD and leading their charge. <laughs> yes. Um, right. Where I think, uh, I think a lot of people would have the perspective that the military doesn't view their resources as assets. Um, my experience, that's not true. Is that one, uh, I'm sure you're going to say, yes, the uh, Air Force and the military views their people as assets. But um, I guess, what are they, how do they do that? How does that manifest itself uh, inside the Air Force or other branches of the military? Look, of course, there's always room for improvements, right? And we're not saying we're perfect. But the fact is, uh, number one priority for us is, is people, right? Both in safety and uh, uh, ability to learn and grow, and, and, and there's a great path for um, learning and, 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 and growing in a role uh, and moving into different roles in, in the DoD. That's always very exciting for, for both civilians and military uh, people, right? Uh, at the same time, you know, it doesn't mean we can't do better, right? Uh, my fear is a lot of times we, we thought of learning as, um, as an afterthought and, and we were creating DOD-specific uh, content training that's so far behind that it's, uh, it's, it's ridiculous, right? And so we need to just start embracing commercial training, particularly when it comes to IT. We need to stop thinking DOD is special. The mission might be special. The software should not be, right? That's a, and the technology we use, open architecture and, and, and making, uh, making better use of open source technologies and all these kind of principles that companies like SpaceX embrace. And that's why they're able to move so fast because they didn't create custom space nonsense that only applies to them where they reduce the, the contractor pool and the team that can come and help. And they reduce the, the access to uh, new technology that can come out because it's not going to integrate or work well within that ecosystem. By having a more open architecture like we're moving now and moving away from DoD-specific nonsense, uh, we end up really opening the access to more startups, more, more talent, more people that can come and really uh, make a difference. And, and really, you end up having that opportunity where those people will be able to take those skills on the commercial side, like you said, and transition once it's time to go and do commercial things. The, the very interesting thing is, you know, the, the turnover in, in commercial companies is two or three years, right? Uh, people like Google or what, Microsoft, whatever, they move around a lot, right? Some stay for 20 years, but that's very rare, right? There's a big, uh, uh, big uh, number of people moving around. And, and we don't see that on the, on the DoD, right? Because it's very tough to get in, get a clearance, and then go somewhere else and lose it or whatever. We need to do better with that too, right? It, it makes a lot of sense to have people go spend three years at, uh, uh, you know, companies like Microsoft, Amazon, whatever, and then come back in DoD and then go back another three years, right? We need to do much, much better out there. So, so there's a lot to improve. We have a whole engagement with Congress on, on software career ladder where you have progress of title and pay, right? Where it's not seen as a dead hand to manage people. And when, when it's time to get a raise, you have to move to a manager role, a role and you don't you don't get to code anymore. That's not, that's not what you do on the commercial side, right? They, there's plenty of, of people that manage people and still get their hands dirty, as I like to say. Yeah, it's uh, the lifetime question. Uh, and it's been a while since I've seen the latest statistics, but uh, I'd say about like five, six years ago, uh, Google was 12 to 14 months. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a point where it's too short too, right? I don't, know, I don't know how much you can really do, unless you're just a developer just typing code. But, but even that, 
right? There is a minimum time where it really doesn't make sense to, to go in a company and stay less than, I would say, two years. But, um, you know, certainly want to at least enable that uh, flow of people, right? Uh, right now, we're losing them and we don't get them back, right? Or they come back when they made enough money to take a big picket. That shouldn't be the case, right? We should be able to align with pay scale of the commercial side in a more, uh, you know, normal fashion. Uh, without taking t- taking drastic pay cuts um, and sustain them, you know, it's not should, shouldn't be just bonuses, signing bonuses. That that, that well, okay, they're going to stay one year, and then what what's going to happen, right? They're going to get take a ninety percent pay cut the second year. <laughs> so so we we need to do much better and 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 stop treating uh, particularly software related data science, you know, related cyber related talent as a first class citizen of of the the department. And, and I can tell you, right, the next battles will be won or lost because of these people. Hmm. So you see that it's a strategic initiative. It's a must do for us to compete, Just not just from like a building software, but competing as the warfighters and the battles of the future are going to be uh, is a critical element. Yeah, because look at the pace of innovation, right? Hardware innovation is always going to be important and you're going to have new weapons and new things like that. But the fact is, most of the fast, quick innovation uh, in a matter of years is done on the software side, right? And and so you, you see it all over all around around you, right? Your phone, if you look at your phone, I mean, it might have gotten a little bit smaller and better, and but but the fact is, in the last five years, there wasn't much change on the on the hardware side compared to uh, you know the software side of it, right? And that's the same thing for everything, right? And particularly when it comes to cyber offense and defense. Um, those might completely change the way you you see uh, the next uh, wall, right? Uh, you and by the way, it's going to be very difficult to know if it was malicious, if it was an accident, if it was you know who did it, right? Attri- attribution. We, we always think we know how to do a, a cyber offense attribution, but I can tell you it's it's very very simple to pretend you're someone else and and put the blame on someone else. It's, so how much can you really trust in that? Um, and people know how we 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 uh, you know we do this stuff now in terms of attribution, so it's very easy to cheat the system, right? So that that is to me the biggest risk, right? Uh, it's going to be the sneaky way, right, and not the the obvious uh, normal you know attack way, right? So. Um, Nicholas, if we can go back for a moment, um, as Patrick mentioned earlier on, you were at age of 15, one of the youngest uh, entrepreneurs in, in France. Just out of curiosity, are you completely self-motivated or did you have someone in your life who really inspired <laughs> you? No, I mean, obviously my, my, my parents uh, always supported me in the sense of, uh, you know, enabling me to, to do this, although they, they didn't give me any money or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I guess they bought my first laptop and devices when I was seven, so I coding very early. So they they never stopped me, I guess, from doing it, but they are not <laughs> entrepreneurs. So and my dad is a journalist and my mom is uh, was a nurse. So uh, that's, uh, uh, yeah, there is no, I guess, nothing. I don't know how I, get, I really got into it. It's kind of a little weird. I always like to uh, to create stuff. And at some point, it was like, you know, worth being a company, right? Um, and then get people and then grow to 12 countries and hundreds of people in, in 12 countries. So that was fun. That's awesome. I'm dying to know what was your first computer. <laughs> uh, I don't even remember. I think it was a Commodore thing. Uh, I, I, you know, that's the issue when you're young. You know, you 
I guess people that were older that that started you know using computers very early they 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 have a better recollection of what they were using for me I was seven I I know I had uh, you know desktop and, and even I had a laptop a very uh, Windows 3.1 thing and you know but uh, I don't really remember I, I I think my mom still has the laptop so I should I should take a picture <laughs> of it yeah it's very yeah, nice stuff for us old timers. Right, our turnover on our machines wasn't like every eighteen months, so it's like yeah. I had a piece junior for a solid seven or eight years. Yeah, but yeah, that's uh, that was uh, it's interesting stuff. But it, one of the questions I, you know, I think it's really important as people are going through these transformations. One, you know, what you've accomplished already in just two years is is just inspiring. It's awesome. Uh, what do you think are the critical elements? that made that possible aside from, you know, obviously you have ambition and you have the ability to get over a lot of challenges. But I think as we, as most of the people who will tune into this show, they're trying to make that change in their organizations. They're trying to be that change agent. And um, sometimes they're not as successful. Uh, And uh, to be totally honest, most, if not all have not been as successful as you. So what are some of the things that, you know, as they're like trying to figure out where they're going to have an impact or things that they could do, what are some of the things that uh, you either you did or was necessary for this to happen? Well, I have to say, I don't know if it's me. I, I was lucky, right? First, I, we, we already, already had great people doing a lot of great stuff with Kessa Run and different teams doing a lot of great innovation stuff. And it was ready for prime time when I when I came on board. It was, uh, you know, the stars well aligned. Both the bottom up was excited to do this and the top down leadership really understood it at the right time. So um, I, I wouldn't say just me, uh, although, you know, I guess the one advantage I have is having made enough money, I, you know, I can, I can go in and really, you know, break the wall and, and try to convince everybody that it's the right thing to do. And if they fire me, you know, so be it, right? Uh, I, you know, not, not everyone can be in that kind of freedom, right? Because I get it, right? They, they have to, uh, uh, to sustain their family and, you know, that it's their career. And, you know, I was looking to make money before, <laughs> I went into the government and, and and not have to work anymore, right? Uh, so if I, you know, I could take a year off and sleep for a year, that would be fun. I love to sleep. Sounds uh, fantastic. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. More about the sleep, please. Yeah. So, but you know, I think that certainly helps because people uh, certainly see that uh, you know I'm willing to take what, it, what what and put my my job on the line to to do the right thing, and that get got me a lot of uh, support from the bottom up, right? Um, and then, you know, uh, of course it scales a lot of the leadership, <laughs> but, um, I think also by leading and showing it's possible and, and, sh- and getting big wins. My first, uh, big engagement was to demonstrate we could put Kubernetes on F-16 jet on legacy hardware. And I picked the, one of the most complex jet and more, um, legacy style team to do it because we, we, you know, we knew that if we could do it there, then you could, you have no excuse not to do it somewhere else. Right. So by, by showing quick wins and demonstrating the value and the return on investment that that's obviously help, helpful. And then, you know, I think um, really leading the way and breaking the walls one at a time, right? Building enterprise services that, and, and, and because I design it as almost as a company within the government where we provide services and the customers, all the DOD programs and teams, um, we bring options. We don't have a one-size-fits-all. Um, we always have options, although you don't want too many options, but you don't want just one. 
right? So enterprise services that fail becomes very toxic because they are then mandated and people want to use something else. And, and there's a lot of ego fight where if you bring a few options, you know, and yes, some things need to be mandated and some cyber stuff have to be done right. And, and you need to have a, maybe a one way of doing that kind of stuff. But the rest, you know, a lot of the tools and DevSecOps tools and capabilities, you, you can bring options, right? And never getting locked in, abstract yourself from cloud providers and stuff like that. So you have that that uh, flexibility of moving around and 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 shopping around, uh, particularly for the taxpayer. You know we want to do right by the the investment and and put good money, uh, not after bad money on, on you know getting getting stuff more and more locked in into a single company, right? And then we I also didn't like some of the ideas that were about oh airmen will be the coders and and that's it, right? I, I believe that we will not be able to succeed without having a very strong defense industrial base adoption of DevSecOps and the big primes, you know, whether you're talking about the Lockheed or Northrop or Raytheon or wherever, right? If they're not in and all in with us, we're not going to succeed. And so I really did my best to reach out to these companies' leadership and, and build very strong partnerships. And many of these companies are hiring a chief software officer now, which is funny. Um, but that, that tells you, right, if we have adoption from them and they see the, the return on investment for them, in fact, we're making them become a product company, right? They used to be a service work for hire company where, you know, you look at multiples of revenue evaluation for these companies, very small because it's, it's a work for hire, right? You can only do what your people can charge per month, per year. Uh, we're taking some of the existing IP, turning, turning that into containers. And that you can imagine is now really empowering them um, to make that a product and license it as a as a license model. So that's that's pretty game changing. You know, I I have yet to see um, a, you know a more uh, better way to make money than using your existing IP, containerizing it and making it as Lego blocks so it can be reused uh, across the and sell it as a license or as a consumption based model. And now you're effectively becoming a product company. Hmm. Um, something you just said earlier, Nicholas. I was smiling because I had a mentor early on who said, everybody needs a go to hell fund, right? Um, and really that just changes your whole <laughs> mindset because it's not fear-based. You know, you can be an innovative, you can be strategic, you can uh, make, you know, big changes and uh, just be very entrepreneurial. So um, I love your mindset. And um, as a taxpayer, I thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, we, you know, in fact, if more more of the government services were, was designed to behave and think as a company, I think you would see uh, much better adoption of services and much better services overall. Um, because, you know, if you, if you can't get uh, uh, adoption and you can't, uh, you, you, you're not getting the right feedback on your products, you know, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Very cool. So, Nick, one last thought. Um, how can we help? How, how, you know, how can the listeners help you with your mission? And, you know, you've got a, a really important job, obviously, uh, one that impacts all of us and this great nation we all love. Uh, so how can we help? So first, we, we open source back a lot of the DevSecOps stuff we do. And, and we have a website, software.af.mail, software.airforceaf.mail where we have all of our content. And then if you go inside the DSOP documents, you're going to find all our publications, source code. It's a two-way street. The source code is um, also can be improved uh, by your, your help. 
And so any of the, your listeners that, that want to contribute back is, is that's very welcome. And then if they have products and, and capabilities that can be containerized, they can push their container to our container repository, uh, which is a marketplace where they can sell now um, their capability to the department and we can put them on the marketplace. And it's a very easy thing to do now. Uh, we took it from you know what used to take a year to be accredited and be on contract to two weeks. Um, and so they, they can be on the on the marketplace and they can sell and now have access to what is the largest organization in the world and, and, and make a difference uh, you know for, for the United States. So that's a, that's a great way for startups and companies that thought, hey, you know, I don't want to waste time on DoD because it's it moves too slow. And but that's not true. You know, we have Sibers with AppWorks. We can we can invest uh, in, in companies and with grants, which doesn't take equity, doesn't take uh, doesn't uh, impact the cap table of the company. So it's a great way to uh, to get funding uh, with really no no impact, no negative impact on the company. Um, often matched uh, up to three times by the commercial side. Uh, our investments, uh, so that's also now becoming a way to uh, to get to demonstrate to VCs that you're getting a lot of traction. So any help to uh, to get more capabilities, more commercial companies involved on the Iron Bank, which is the name of our Cisco repo uh, container repo, um, and that's all of that is on software.dev.mail, and and you know reach out to us and and be part of it. That's awesome. What's also awesome is like your guys' naming is just fantastic, right? <laughs> the Iron Bank, Kessel Run. I mean, you just know how to tickle the nerds, don't you? The best, the <laughs> best. You have to see the the platform one logo uh, with Baby Yoda and and uh, and uh, the Smokey the Bear. That's probably the best logo on the planet. Yeah, I I, I have seen the, the Smokey hat on on Yoda, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Actually, I, I don't know if we talked about this. The name of my company, Dragon Spears, is actually named after the MC-130. Right, right, right. Uh, variant of the AC-130. Oh, but nice. yeah, it's, uh, you know, awesome stuff. Nick, so much. Thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing this. Uh, and I just can't encourage people to go, you know, check it out, see what they're doing. Uh, it's really amazing stuff. And uh, from an investment in yourself. And I, a lot of times when we talk to people, like, I just want to do things that are meaningful. Well, I think this is exactly the avenue to, to solve that problem. Yeah, and we're hiring. So anyone that wants to come and make a difference, uh, and and you don't, oh, you know, it's not many companies that can let you do space stuff and jet stuff, and so we do a lot of cool stuff. You know, that's uh, you know, the pay might not always be as good, but uh, you know, the kind of work we do is uh, completely unique. And and if you have kids, you know, I, I didn't have kids when I studied in DoD. Now I have three kids. Two years later, it's very crazy. I had twins, so that. Went from one to three. Uh, that that really has a strong impact on why I'm staying, you know, because I really want to make sure that uh, our kids will have a fighting chance, you know, against nations that you know have sometimes five to six times uh, the 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 size of uh, of our population, and, and they they can do a lot of things, you know. Uh, we're not going to win by volume; we have to win by uh, by quality and and smarts, right? So um, yeah. we need to make sure they are set uh, for success when they get. Uh, uh, to uh, to begin that that kind of work uh, and not already start 20, 30, 40 years behind. Awesome. Well, there you go. Call the arms. Yep. Get your kids coding and then get them to work for the for the Air Force for the DoD. My my son wants to be a Marine. He's got that baked into him. He just he's, that's good. He doesn't want. He's not going to be the keyboard kid like me. That's okay. We need both. Yeah. We need both. Yeah. 
Well, again, like I said, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're super busy, you know, doing this thing called Protecting the Nation. You know, uh, just a little little mission there. Yes, thank uh, you, Nick. Now, of course, anytime. We also want to thank our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. And we really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32. 